Know the love of Christ Jesus, which surpasses all understanding. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Some years ago, Bishop Welch, the first bishop of Arlington, invited Mother Teresa to speak in our cathedral parish on the issue of the family. Some of you may have been there. Mother spoke on the real damage facing the family in America, and she recommended an antidote to the serpent venom, which has tragically entered the bloodstream of society. This antidote costs nothing, but it sits on our shelves unused. Today, one out of every three, one out of every two marriages in this country fail, which means one out of every two families fail. A girl once told me, who, whose parents had broken up, we got divorced. When I grew up in the 1950s, the divorce rate way below that of non-Catholics. I remember how surprised my aunt was Methodist, how surprised she was when a member of her office got divorced. And she said, and he is a Catholic. Now there's no difference between the two rates. Something, something has gone wrong. During my tenure in the family life office, 10 years, made two efforts to heal the breach. The first thing I did, I'll mention later, but the last thing I did was to establish a program known as Metrovi, an offshoot of Marriage Encounter. Retrovi began in Canada and has had a 60% success rate in healing broken marriages or those on the, th on the verge of collapse. That is 60% of broken marriages, 60% of broken families have been reconciled. Retrovi is French for rediscovery. What is rediscovered is that love, which through pride, selfishness, and a search for comfort has waned. First fruit is then rediscovered and reclaimed. As one husband told me after the healing process had been completed, thank you for giving me back my bride. What happens to these couples? They rediscover the true meaning of love, not the bargain basement love, the world hawks, which in which we buy into today, but the love that is encased in the beautiful words of the marriage vows and scriptural and nuptial blessing and is sung in the scriptures. Over the years, because of routine, the heart has hardened, has become frozen, and thus retreated into its private palace of snow, frozen, afraid, afraid to go near the fire. The key to this rediscovery is communication, but the degree, the deeper form of communication, interpersonal communication, an I-thou relationship, which is dialogue. This type of I-thou dialogue is best summed up in the motto of Cardinal Newman, 
Cor ad cor loquitur. Heart speaks to heart, but it is no ordinary dialogue. For the man who engages in it is redeemed man, the new man, the re regenerated man of which St. Paul speaks. The man empowered by sanctifying grace, and in this case of a married couple, of sacramental grace. And the heart in love is a heart in dialogue, and it's never without loving speech. For the blessed Lord said, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh, as was evident in the following stories I'm going to tell. Some years ago, a vacation in St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. One night, I went to the capital city, Charlotte Amalie, for dinner. I was alone, not dressed as a priest, and I was seated next to a young married couple on their honeymoon. As I ate, the wife kept looking at me as if she was would ask something important. Then she spoke. She said they were on their honeymoon, and how wonderful, how fortunate she was to have married her husband. He was generous and loving, and had a great sense of humor. He was trustworthy and worthy of all praise, and he would be a good father. Then the young man spoke of the qualities of his new wife. She was beautiful and loving and very caring. She was loyal and honest and generous to others in need. She would be an excellent carer in their house, and she would be an outstanding mother. I was thankful for the great gift which they bestowed on me, a complete stranger, a gift of allowing me to participate in their festival of love. I also was thankful for God for preparing me for, for, for what I was about to face when I returned home. When I returned, I received a call from a mother whose son and daughter-in-law were facing marital problems. They had been married for 25 years and had four children. The husband saw no problem in the marriage and no need for counseling. His mother, his wife, and their four children saw otherwise, and he reluctantly agreed to go. I was writing a, a weekly column at the time, and she was a devoted fan. And so she insisted they come to me for counseling, even though I lived in, at the time I lived in Alexandria, and they lived in Oakton. It was obvious when they came, the husband had no interest in being there, and that he saw nothing wrong in their marriage. During the hour I spent with them, he was obviously annoyed because he kept watch, looking at his watch and kept making facial expressions. I got the hint. After I finished the hour, having used up all my notes I had compiled during my one marriage counseling course I took in seminary, I said a prayer privately to help for the Holy Spirit to help me, because now they were both disappointed. So as they, as they get up to leave, I said to them, to him, what is, when is your wife's birthday? 
it was a a question which was unexpected. I didn't. There was nothing nothing in our what we were talking about led up to it. And he was annoyed by such a stupid question. He said he yelled. This has been a great waste of my time. For three weeks now, we've come here and listening to you say absolutely nothing. And you, you ask us, ask me, when's my wife's birthday? It's April the 13th. Let's go. His wife then said, that's your mother's birthday. Mine is November 4th. The mood in the room quickly changed. He was humbled when the truth was brought home to him. The marriage was in trouble, and he was the cause. And he knew it. Now, he sat down and cried. Immediately, I thought of that couple back in St. Thomas. And then I quoted a line of a popular song back then. You don't bring me flowers anymore. And then I read to them the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the ode on love by St. Paul. He was putty in my hands, and during the next weeks, revived, the marriage was revived, and he was an active participant, and they did very well. Now you may be thinking, don't keep us in suspense. What's the hidden secret that's kept in our shelves, unused, untried? Blessed Teresa of Calcutta told the overflow crowd that afternoon at the cathedral, the antidote is devotion to the heart, sacred heart of Jesus, as, as, as openly lived in families through the enthronement of their homes, the loving heart of Jesus. In his, in his encyclical, Harietis Aquas, Pius XII taught, we do not have it, we do not hesitate to declare that devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is the most effective school of love of God, which must be, pre, must be the foundation on which all of the kingdom of God is built in the individual and in the family. The other project I initiated was to encourage the enthronement of the Sacred Heart. In fact, this parish played a prominent role in it because the, my assistant at that time, Dorothy Fury, was a parishioner, and she headed the effort. Why the Sacred Heart? The Sacred Heart was wounded, bruised for our offenses, pierced through with a lance, and thus we glory in our vulnerability. We glory in our vulnerability. We enter the heart of our beloved in dialogue, and we must lay aside all our weapons and send away the sentinels we have erected to keep them out, to keep love out. We must lay aside all our weaponry. It is inconceivable for the spouse to say, I love you, and in that intimate act of sexual union, which is the ultimate dialogue, to forego all vulnerability and to arm themselves. And what is contraception 
if not weaponry? What is contraception, if not if not the great anti-dialogue? We arm ourselves for one reason only, to prevent that love of which we speak becoming possible fruit and becoming another vow in which our dialogue becomes a family. The Sacred Heart is an invitation to vulnerability, to enter dialogue with the Lord who is love, and to realize that it is authentic love. Authentic love is cruciform. And in the loving words of Ephesians, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, that you may have the power to comprehend, comprehend all that the saints, which is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ Jesus, which surpasses all knowledge. Behold the heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.